Thanks, Julie Penn. Really appreciate you and appreciate all of you who are a part of Cedar Mill Bible Church and are tuning in. And if you're not part of our church and you're joining in from somewhere else, it's great to be with you. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we are in a series where we're journeying through the book of Romans and talking about and discovering how the gospel transforms our, our entire lives. And in this journey, we've been kind of cruising through the book of Romans, stopping at different places. Last week, we, we jumped in on Romans chapter 8, and I told you we were going to be camped out here for just a few weeks because this chapter is one of, if not the most important chapter about how we are empowered to live the, the transformed life in the entire Bible. It's, it's a huge chapter. Here's what Bible scholar N.T. Wright calls Romans 8. A veritable feast of Pauline themes that carries the power of the gospel in every breath. He says, if the church would hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans 8, there's no telling what might happen. And that really is our goal in this series, to as, as a community, as a church, hoist our sails and try and catch the transforming power of God through the gospel and specifically in this chapter through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to continue our journey looking at verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17. If you have your Bibles you can, you can open there. And here's what we're going to cover today. As you turn I'll let you know. We're going to talk about one, what the Spirit wants to do. Specifically what the Spirit wants to do in your life. Two, who the Spirit says you are, and three, where the Spirit says we're bound. And all three of these are going to have transforming power in our lives. So here we go. Let's dive in. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stop. Paul begins right away by saying, you know, hey, what I'm about to tell you is directly connected to what I just told you, what I told you back in verses 1 through 11. And what he told us there is that the gospel empowers and enables us um, by taking up, by the Spirit, enabling the Spirit to take up residence in our lives and dwell and live within us. Paul is saying here, because of that reality, because through the Spirit you are now not only free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. We talked about that last week. Because of that, because of that great tr transforming truth, now he continues, we have an obligation. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Paul is reminding us that God went to great lengths to not only forgive our sin, but to also make us right with him and then also he, to, to empower us to live beyond the power of sin in our lives, to free us from that power. And so the question is, since God did all this for us, since he went to such great lengths to give us this gift of the spirit that empowers us to live free from sin, what he's asking is, don't you feel some obligation to use that gift that God that cost God so much to give you. I mean, it would kind of be like you really needing a car. 
You're living your life, you have no vehicle, and so you're walking, you're hitchhiking, you're taking public transportation to try and get around, and it's really hard, it's really tough. In fact, it's, it's, it's crippling to your life, it's severely limiting to you. You're not able to get to all the things you wanna to get to. You're not able to do all the things that you're feeling called to do. And a friend of yours notices this trouble that you're having, notices this struggle, and he comes over and he brings you a gift. And he says, I have a gift for you. It's a car, not just a car, Abe, a Tesla. It's parked right in your driveway, a brand new Tesla, not yours. This is just an illustration. Don't get too excited. And there's a Tesla right in your driveway. Now, can you imagine that gift? And he says, I want you to be able to live into being the person and becoming the person that you are supposed to be. And I feel like transportation's holding you back. So here's this gift. Here's this car. Here's this Tesla. Now, what if a year later, two years later, three years later, 10 years later, that friend came back only to find that Tesla still parked in the same place and having never been used? I mean, wouldn't that friend say, well, why did I go to all the trouble? Why did I pay such a high price? Why did I do this if you weren't even going to use the gift that I gave you? We have an obligation to use this gift that we've been given by God, but Paul says we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. You see, sometimes we get our obligations confused. We don't feel obligated to the spirit, we feel obligated to the flesh. And just to be clear about what Paul is talking about here, when he uses the words the flesh, he's talking about our unredeemed humanness. He's talking about our attitudes and viewpoints and impulses and desires and longings and motivations that go along with being a fallen human being that aren't fully aligned with the way God would want them aligned, not fully aligned with him and his will. And so what he's saying here is, I think about the flesh, these misaligned longings and feelings and viewpoints and attitudes. He's saying, you don't owe those things anything He's saying there's no, you feel no obligation to those things. In fact, what have they ever done for you? I mean, think about it for a minute. Stop and pause, give it some thought. What has following and yielding to the flesh ever really done in your life? Greed, selfishness, lust, envy. What have they given to you? Maybe some short-term or brief or momentary pleasure But the question is, has pursuing the flesh really offered you long-term peace and joy and trust and love and satisfaction and security? All the things that your heart is longing for. The answer is no. Paul is saying, you don't owe the flesh anything. You're not obligated to it at all. So stop living for it. For if you live, verse 13, according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. In short, Paul's saying here, use the Tesla. (laughs) Use the Tesla to experience the life that God longs for you to live. The phrase, you will live there. And you will live. It's the Greek word, zao. It means to truly live. It means to have a rich, full, abundant life. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 10, 10 when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? 
What Paul is saying here is that if you want to experience Zao, the rich, full, abundant life, allow the spirit, use the Tesla, allow the spirit to put sin to death in you. And I want to pause for a minute and be really clear. Because we notice that Paul doesn't say, allow the spirit to help you get control of your sin. Paul doesn't say, allow the spirit to help you learn to manage your sin better. Paul doesn't say, you know, the sin can, sin can be contained if only if you use the spirit. No, he says, here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Completely annihilate your sin. Kill it. Destroy it. Remove it. You see, our problem is, my problem, maybe you guys have the same problem. I, I, all too often, I, I learn to tolerate my sin. I, I learn to just accept it and I fool myself into thinking, you know, it's not gonna be that big of a deal. I'll just keep it contained. It won't take over. It won't cause that much damage. It won't ruin anything. A couple of summers ago, uh, we had some wasps that were flying around our back deck. And my wife right away was like, whoa, wasps, she's not a fan, my kids aren't a fan. And she was saying, you know, we gotta get rid of these wasps, we gotta find the nest, we gotta get them out of here. And I was a little more nonchalant about it, I was a little more casual, I was like, oh, it's a few wasps, it's not a big deal, they'll go away, whatever. And what do you think happened? Before you know it, the wasps have multiplied, pretty soon they've taken over our entire deck and my kids and my wife will not go out there for dinner. It is now full on wasp territory. They have gained full and utter control of my deck. Friends, that is what sin wants to do in your life. It wants to fool you into thinking that everything's fine, that it's okay, and just some little doses, but it will grow and it will try and take control and it will utterly ruin you and ruin others. See, part of our problem, friends, is that we don't hate sin enough. The Holy Spirit hates sin, but we don't hate it enough. We fall, we fail to connect the dots between this reality, what sin's doing now and where it will eventually take us. We don't connect the dots to the long-term consequences of the very small, seemingly innocent sin in our life now. But sin is always trying to move. Sin is always trying to journey. It's always leading towards devastation and destruction. Friends, let me ask you this question today. Is there any sin in your life that you've gotten comfortable with? Is there any sin in your life that you've gotten comfortable with? You've just gotten cozy with it. It's just not bugging you or bothering you all that much. Because here's what the Spirit wants to do. Reveal it and remove it. Call it out and kill it. Tim Keller talks about this process and how it's a long-term, lifelong process for a believer. It's the process we often call sanctification. And simply it's the spirit revealing our sin and then removing it from our lives. Revealing sin, removing it. When it reveals this one and then removes it, it moves on to the next one. It reveals this sin, it removes it. It reveals that sin and removes it. And it does it over and over and over and over again until we go to be with the Lord. That's called sanctification. It's a lifelong process and it's very slow. Let me just say this to you so you don't stress. It doesn't happen most of the time, it doesn't happen instantaneously and it doesn't happen quickly. One author I read this week said, it's kind of like watching your kids grow. 
In our house, we have a, a wall in our laundry room where I measure all the kids. Every year on their birthday, we put a ruler on their head and a little slash and write their, their, you know, their name and their age on it. You can kind of see, see them growing. You can see them getting taller and taller and taller. Because when I just look at them every day or every week or even every month, they look the same size to me. But friends, it's when I step back and I see what's happening over time that I can see growth is occurring. That's how the Spirit works in our lives. He reveals sin and then he removes it and it happens so subtly and so slowly sometimes that we don't notice it until we step back and then all of a sudden, a year later, two years later, five years later, we say, oh, I'm not the same person I was. That anger that had so much control over me and such a grip on my mind and heart and tongue, it's, it's, it's all but gone. That's what the Spirit does, friends. That's how he works. He reveals and removes our sins. What he wants to do. Number two, who the Spirit says you are. This is verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now I wanna stop right there real quick and ask what Paul is talking about here when he says, led by the Spirit of God. Because sometimes we hear those phrases and they, they feel sort of emotional and ethereal to us. Like people who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. These must be the people that walk around going, God, I have this feeling from you. Where are you leading me? Where are you taking me? Where should we go to dinner tonight? Where should I park my car? And, and, and that's not bad stuff to ask God, but I don't think it's what Paul's talking about here. In this context, what Paul is saying is that when the Spirit is leading you away from sin and towards Christ-likeness, those who are being led away from sin and towards Christ-likeness, when we find that the Spirit is revealing and removing, when that is happening, that's the evidence that you're a child of God. You see, this is how Paul actually connects points one and points two. He says, one of the great benefits of allowing the Spirit of God to take, down and sin in, to take down sin in your life is that he does this, as he does this, you will find this wonderful assurance that you are one of his, that you are his child. As you see sin begin to decrease in your life, you realize, oh, God's at work in me. He's doing something in me. The Holy Spirit's at work. That must mean I'm one of his kids. And now I feel more confident and more assured. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Friends, do you know that in every single language in the world there are multiple names for God? A father. Multiple words, multiple names. One of them is generally a more formal name, like our word father. The other one is often a word of affection or of connection or dependence. It's a word that a child or a small toddler would utter. And it's, it's a word that says, my dad is big and my dad is strong and in him I find safety and security and comfort and love. You know, one of the things my wife discovered recently was that on our home phone, which is really just a, a, a cell phone we keep at home. We don't have a landline, but we have an extra cell phone that it's, stays at home just for emergencies. But on that phone, sometimes my son, my 14-year-old son will use that phone when he goes someplace so that we can stay connected to him and, and talk with him because he doesn't have a phone of his own. One of the things my wife discovered on that phone a few weeks ago was that on the contact list, he had changed my name from David Teixeira to 
Dada. He went in and changed it to Dada. Because that's what he's called me ever since he was just a little guy, a wee little teeny guy. He calls, he's called me Dada and he still calls me, me Dada. And you know what, friends? That made me feel so good because it told me something about our relationship. It told me that even though he's 14 now and six foot two, can you believe that? He still finds safety and security and comfort in love in our relationship. I'm still Dada. And friends, we all long for a Dada. All of us long for someone in our life who is big and strong and loves us so perfectly that we can count on them to lead us and guide us and take care of us. We all lean on someone or something for that. And often when we're kids, we look to our fathers. I remember when I was a kid, my dad was larger than life. He was a big man already. When I was little, he seemed huge. There was one time we were on an airplane and we're flying through a full-on lightning storm and I was terrified. I thought, this is it. This is when I'm dying. This airplane's going down any minute. And I was terrified and stressed and, and worried and anxious. And I looked over and there's my dad just sitting there calm and peaceful. And I just looked at him and I remember putting my hand on his leg and I remember feeling like, okay, if dad's okay, I'm okay. He was this source of steady safety and security for me. Friends, here's the deal. Our earthly fathers, no matter how good they are, can't live up to that all the time and in every, every way. Maybe you had a great earthly dad. Maybe you didn't have such a great earthly dad. But no matter what, no one, not even our dads, can live up to that all the time and in every way. And so what most of us do is that we go through life looking for that fulfillment and that security that we've yearned for as children and we, we seek to find it in other places, in other people and in other things, in romance, in reputation, in financial security, in achievement. But all of those things will eventually let us down. That's why Paul says here, look to someone who will never let you down. Paul says, God fulfills that need, that need that we all have by becoming our heavenly Abba, Dada, through Christ and the Holy Spirit reminds us of this. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you that God is your heavenly daddy. And this truth, this reality that God is not just our king, that he's not just our Lord or some distant God gives us tremendous confidence and assurance as we approach life. Friends, that's the power of having a dada. You feel safe, you feel secure, you feel like you can go out there and tackle anything because you've got a dada with you and he's on your side. Listen, friends, he says, you're not a slave. You're not a slave. You don't have to live in fear. Friends, a spirit of slavery happens when you identify something in your life and you begin to believe that you need it for safety and security and love and acceptance. It can, it can be a bad thing. It can be a really good thing. But you start to think that's the thing that will provide those things for me and I need it. And now because you need that thing, you're a slave to that thing. Again, maybe it's another person. Maybe it's a job or a title or a position. Maybe it's some amount of money in some bank account somewhere. Maybe it's an activity or a substance 
that makes you feel safe, secure, accepted. Maybe it's a talent or an ability or your health. Maybe it's popularity or beauty or acceptance. All sorts of things. We can grab onto all sorts of things for that safety and security and love. And all these things that promise those things are going to eventually let us down. But we need them. We're slaves to them. And accompanying that spirit of slavery automatically is a spirit of fear. Because when you need something and it's not all that reliable, you start to wonder, you start to ask questions deep in your mind, deep in your heart. Have I done enough? What if I don't make it? What if I don't live up? What if this thing that I'm relying on goes away? What if it's taken away? What if I lose it? And so there's never complete peace. When will that safety and security go away? And what will I do when it does? But Paul says, the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit, speaks deep into our minds and into our hearts about this fact. We are free from that spirit of slavery and fear. Why? Because we have been adopted. We've experienced adoption by our heavenly father. Now, adoption in the Roman world was a very big deal. It was significant. It was not something the people took lightly. When you were adopted, you became fully and completely part of your new family. You're not a second-class citizen in any way. You were treated as a complete equal, equal even with the natural-born children of that family. Furthermore, when you were adopted, your old life was completely erased, gone, wiped clean, debts erased, Struggles erased, old family identity erased. And as an adopted child, you were now entitled to all the rights and privileges of a natural born child in your new family. You were adopted, chosen, selected. It was a position of honor, not a position of shame. It was a position of utter and complete security. You could feel so, so safe. And maybe right now, You're wondering what Abba and what adoption have to do with transformation in your battle against sin. Friends, let me tell you. The Holy Spirit longs for you to know that your God is your Abba and that you are his adopted child because, because who you believe you are always impacts how you choose to live. Who you believe you are always impacts how you choose to live. We see this all the time in kids, don't we? If they're told something enough times, they believe it. And when they believe it, they live into it. Why are you so naughty? Why are you always misbehaving? Why are you always picking on your sister? And what do they do? They just live right into that. If they believe they're smart, they throw themselves into school. Oh, that's who I am. I'm a school kid. I'm a smart kid. If they believe they're athletic, they commit themselves to sports. If they believe they're funny, they make jokes in front of the class. If they believe they are unwanted or unlovable, they pull away and look for love in other places. And friends, what Paul is saying is that if you truly believe that your standing in the family of God is one of a beloved son or a beloved daughter, you will now be in such a place of safety and security that not only will you want to live a life free of sin, you'll now have the courage to allow the spirit to reveal it to you when you're not, to show you when you're failing. Why? 
because, and this is a principle that, that applies in so many areas of our lives. Write this down. Security breeds vulnerability. Security breeds vulnerability. In the places where you feel the most safe, you will be the most vulnerable because security breeds vulnerability. Friends, let me ask you this today. Do you know who you are? Are you confident in who you are? Do you know that you're a child of the king? When was the last time you heard the spirit whisper in your mind or in your heart or in your ear? God loves you. He is not just a parental figure in your life. He is your beloved Abba, Daddy, Papa. That's who he is. So friends, we've learned what the Spirit wants to do, who the Spirit says you are, and now finally, point three, where the Spirit says we're bound, and I'll make this point quick, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Friends, in these verses, Paul is reminding us as believers of what lies ahead for us, And he's building on his last point to say, hey, if we are in fact children of God, if that's really who we are, if we're adopted, if if we are heirs, um, if we've been adopted by God, then we are heirs of God. And I wanna go back for just a minute because there's something I skipped a little earlier. Paul doesn't just say that we're adopted, does he? I kind of glossed over that phrase. He says something more. He says that we have received an adoption to sonship. Now, Allison, you're the only girl up here with us tonight. Um, And I know there are a lot of ladies out there saying that is uncool. That is way unfair. Um, That feels sexist to me and patriarchal and all the stuff. And I don't know if I can even buy into that. And let me just say, hold up, listen up, because Paul is not being sexist here at all. In fact, he's being the opposite of sexist. He's referencing the fact that in the ancient Roman world, Sons were the ones who inherited their father's estates. That's just how it was in the world. They were the ones in that culture who got the most rights, who got the most privileges, and were given all that their father had. So when Paul says, the spirit brought about your adoption to sonship, he's saying this. He's saying, whether you're an adopted son or an adopted daughter in the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom, in his realm, the way he works, you get treated the way sons got treated in the ancient world. In his world, we all get treated the same. We've all been given the privileges of the sonship. That's what Paul's saying. You see, this is actually Paul being as inclusive as he can possibly be. That's what lies ahead for you, he's saying. He's saying, no matter who you are in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you are now an heir to the kingdom of God. Let me say it to you this way. Maybe you've, you've experienced a difficult stretch in your life. Maybe there have been some hard things on your calendar. If you think back on your life, there was a period where you looked ahead and there was some tough stuff on your calendar, on your schedule ahead. You're gonna have to go through some hard weeks of work, maybe some conflict with some family, maybe some health challenges. Maybe those were the things that lied ahead for you and you knew they were coming in the next days or weeks or months or maybe even years. But then what you also knew was that maybe sometime after that, after that, that difficult stretch, you had a vacation planned. 
And maybe it was a vacation that you were super excited about, that you've like been planning and wanting to take for a really, really long time. I, I remember back this summer, uh, it was a tough stretch. COVID was continuing. We suffered some loss in our family. My wife's grandmother died. We lost our, our 13-year-old yellow lab. And it was just a tough stretch. And I knew at the end of that stretch, we had been given by a friend this lake house. For five days, we were gonna to get to use this lake house and this boat. And I was so looking forward to that vacation. It was almost like just looking ahead to that vacation got me through all the hardship and all the struggle of those days and weeks ahead. Friends, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, it's not just, it's not just a house on a lake and a boat. It's eternal and forever glory in the kingdom of God. That's what's ahead for you. He's saying the battle against sin in this world is tough. It is. There's suffering. There's struggle. It's tiring. It's exhausting. It is unrelenting. Sin is unrelenting. But at the end of that journey, on the other side of this short life, is an eternity of inheriting all the glory of the kingdom of God. He says we will share in the glory of of Christ. That means like the weightiness of God's presence that Jesus feels, we're going to feel that same weightiness of God's presence. The way Jesus experiences God and life, we're going to experience him that same way. We're going to experience that same Zoe that Jesus talked about and that he experienced and is experiencing himself. See, when he says that we're going to be moving towards glory, what Paul is saying is there is a life ahead for you where this world is the way that God intended it to be, where you are the way that God intended you to be, that all the sin and all the struggle and all the heartache and all the suffering that holds you back, even the stuff in here, it's all going to be gone. That's the vacation that lies ahead for you, and it's an eternal one. Free from struggle, free from suffering and separation, free from insecurity and doubt and fear. That's what's ahead for you and me, Paul says, glory. And the Spirit wants to remind you of that. The Spirit wants to remind you that that is what lies ahead, friends, because he knows that if you can keep your eyes fixed on that, if you know that's coming, then you can make it through the struggles and the suffering and the difficulty in your life, on your calendar right now. So friends, I hope this passage has encouraged you to keep allowing the Spirit to reveal and remove your sin. I hope it's encouraged you to keep on remembering that you are an adopted son, an adopted daughter of the King, that he is your Abba, your daddy, your dada. And don't ever forget, friends, that where we are headed is a great place. It is glory. It's the glory that Christ is experiencing. And we are headed there through these light and momentary troubles, through this suffering, to an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So be encouraged and don't lose heart. Amen.